Hi, I'm Richard Evans from EMC Arts. Here on the Arts Forward podcast, we explore the challenges facing the arts sector right now to do things differently, to do things they've never done before. Each month, we look at stories of experimentation and success from innovative arts organisations across the country. Today, we're exploring how to best support existing communities through creative initiatives. I'm pleased to welcome the leaders of two different organisations which are both dedicated to strengthening cultural communities in New York City. Francis Lucerna is the executive director of El Puente and Karen Atlas is the co-director of Naturally Occurring Cultural Districts. Welcome and hello to you both. Hi, it's great to be here. Let's just jump right in here. Karen, what exactly are Naturally Occurring Cultural Districts and why focus on them? Basically, what we're looking at is the clusters of cultural assets that are in communities that, um, when they come together, have are greater than the sum of their parts. And we're looking at um, different kinds of expressions of them. So we have we've been careful not to define it too narrowly. Um, we want to see it in all of its different manifestations. So some of those might look like cultural hubs like El Puente, where they're uh, an organization that plays a really important role within the community that's bigger than that organization. Um, Another example might be what the Fourth Arts Block is, which is um, it's more like a network of small organizations. I think what they all have in common is that their definition of um, their work is about strengthening their neighborhood in their community, not just about strengthening the arts. And so they tend to be clusters that include both cultural groups and other kinds of groups that might be small business or civic groups or activist groups. And Francis, you're working in South Williamsburg, an area that seems to be gentrifying practically overnight. Who comprises your community and, and what are the specific challenges that you're addressing? Well, I think that our greatest challenge is exactly the question that you ask. Um, Los Sures, the south side of Williamsburg, has been a traditional Latino community um, for decades. And and that is really sort of where and how we came into being 30 years ago. Uh, we found ourselves, I'm born and raised in, in Williamsburg, I'm an original um, We came back to the community. There were a number of us who were back in the community, and we saw a real need to galvanize, to organize, to bring together people who were there and who were invested and who really felt very strongly that we had what it took to really take back our community and start to build it. And so out of that sort of spirit of self-determination came El Puente. And here we find ourselves 30 years later in a situation that is quite um, amazing and remarkable, where in the in 30 years ago it was because there was such devastation in the community and lack of infrastructure. Now we are in a time when gentrification has, again, brought to the fore the need to organize and really reassert ourselves. That is really the challenge and also the opportunity that we have and have had in particularly this initiative that was supported by Rockefeller, what we call the Green Light District Initiative. As opposed that to says, a red one, not a stoplight. Yes, yeah. not a stoplight, yeah. a go. Yeah. And for our community is really to say that we have the right and we have the resources and we have what it takes to really see ourselves as a vital part of what will happen in the transformation of North Brooklyn and particularly the south side of Williamsburg. If your, if your vision 
was achieved, if your project was successful, what might South Williamsburg look like in 10 years' time? Is there a sense of that? Certainly in terms of our struggle is to really see our artists and see our schools and see our um, residents still there and still uh, leading uh, and sitting at tables of decision-making as well as uh, continuing the visioning and revisioning of what the community can be. And I think at the center of that, I think we've always seen arts and culture as being the driving force. It's interesting to me that you're both clearly working with community members uh, who are really strongly invested in the outcomes for their neighborhoods and communities. And I'm interested in how you navigate your role as a facilitator, if you will, of those kinds of community outcomes, while balancing that with the organizing work that was already happening in that neighborhood or community. Is that a balancing act? How do you get traction without being, in any sense, either interlopers or too directive of the of the future? Karen? So Naturally Occurring Cultural Districts is a citywide coalition. So each of our members works deeply in a neighborhood. And I think it's um, maybe it's this notion of shared leadership that that keeps us from feeling like an interloper because I don't think we feel like we're bringing something somewhere and then trying to build support for it. I think it's we're part of something that is growing out of the community and that we've stepped up and taken some leadership for, but it isn't our we aren't the sole leaders and we're not the ones who are sort of putting it down into the community. And so the, the strategies, in a way, are to to help um, strengthen and grow leadership from within that community. By yes, in all in all the communities. And then when we work citywide, I think our vision of leadership is is the intersection between the uh, between the neighborhoods. Because I think we don't, you know, our purpose is to change the city. And in Brooklyn, in North Brooklyn, uh, the, this question of how to animate and and support. What Karen is saying about distributed leadership and local leadership, how does mm. that play out? For, for well, ours is a little different because mm-hmm. I think um, in terms of El Puente, it was all about how to galvanize and support indigenous leadership, all of us being community residents or, in my case, born and raised in, in Williamsburg. And I think that uh, that has been sort of the driving force and really compelling in terms of how do we convene people in the community and create a space for reflection in terms of what is going on and what the issues are, and then providing a, an opportunity to build the skills to really be able to organize, create action plans. Can you give me some examples of doing that? Sure. Um, something that happened um, around education where we had a local elementary school in the 80s that was uh, segregated. If you can imagine that actually happening where a corridor of an, uh, an elementary school was being blocked off from young people who were coming in and it was 100% pe- young people of color so that um, a group of young women uh, who were from the Hasidic community, Satmar Hasidic community, could get remediation uh, services in the school. Um, in that case, what we did was uh, we supported parents to actually uh, wage what was really historical, a 30-day boycott of that school until that corridor was um, in essence, taken down, and it went through the courts and was deemed unconstitutional. Now, that's large scale. 
Another one was the building of an incinerator in our community, a community that had the probably the highest level of asthma rates in the city and all sorts of environmental hazards. And um, there was a legislated 55-story incinerator that was going to be built in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. And we brought together a coalition of organizations uh, across the community, and it was a really historic one because we had not only the Latino community, the Polish community, the Jewish community, the African-American community, Italian-American community coming together saying that uh, we would not allow something like this to happen and waged, again, a campaign that basically, in essence, stopped the building of that incinerator. So those are examples of how and in which way we as an organization have done what we believe in, which is uh, really the name of the organization, El Puente, which is the bridge, is really creating those kinds of bridges for powerful coalitions, for powerful committees and, and of, of, of people in the community to really exercise their rights uh, for a better life. These projects that your communities want to move forward, your neighborhoods want to move forward, are are really complex. There's lots of unknowns in terms of obstacles, outcomes, even what they'll be. And you have to manage the expectations of so many people interacting in the way that you're saying. I'm, I'm just interested in how you manage those expectations and what kind of approaches you've found to be successful. You talked about bridging as mm-hmm. one specific strategy. Are there other ways that either of you have learned to, to try to manage these expectations and enable people to come together in new ways? Well, it's putting the whole thing into a long view so that if the the wind doesn't happen immediately, it's understanding that whatever happened moves you towards the next point of the trajectory. You know, it's having that long view of, of social justice that, you know, it takes um, time to make the kind of deep um, changes that we want. But then along the way, building in the way you do your work so that there can be small victories. I was going to say, because people do need that, don't they? They need something to reinforce. Yeah. But for something to have the kind of momentum you want, there are going to be skeptics. Well, I'll tell you, one of the stories that I tell people is um, El Puente's story about (laughs) building the coalition um, that you described. I mean, who would think that, I mean, certainly the city and, and the people that they were fighting against didn't think that you would get a coalition with the Hasidic community and the Polish and the Jewish and the Latino. And yet this happened. And I remember asking Luis, you know, what made it happen? And he said there was there was some kind of shared values yeah. and there was a shared desire to breathe the air and have their children right. live in a healthy place. And I think that 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 is such an exhilarating kind of thing. You know, yeah. examples like that, I think, really do help you get past skeptics. Yeah. We found common ground in the ground itself. And I, I think that is just a, an amazingly poetic and profound way to talk about how do you build and sustain the kind of coalition and partnerships that are very, very difficult. And it's really always coming back to the table And I know that um, this is something we do at Opuente and always asking the very, very profound question, for the sake of what? For the sake of what did we start this? For the sake of what did we uh, move the way we moved? Um, And if we can answer that question uh, when, you know, times get very, very difficult and we're all sort of afraid and... Um, we feel like maybe we've lost a little of our perspective, which happens. But I think it's always coming back to the table and saying, 
for the sake of what? And for us at Opuente, we call that creating sacred space, that space of our where we come and share our common humanity. And I think that's the place where passion connects with purpose. There's a wonderful combination if you can get to that place and keep right. people visiting that sacred right. space. We seem to be living in a time of greater polarization. Right. And I know I've been through many of these kinds of change processes where the heat goes up in the room or in mm. the community because of the digging into the difficult challenges mm. you're referring to. And people run for the exits. <laughs> yeah? It so often happens, doesn't it, that they, they either run to quick agreement and it's not really very adaptive mm. or they just can't reach an agreement. I, I'm interested in what you're saying about how to, to take the tensions and conflicts and make them generative well, I just wanted to throw one other thing into it because yeah. I think this is a characteristic of your work. And and in Arts and Democracy, we just started, we kind of went back and looked at our values. And, and a really important one is that the work increases the agency of the people who are most impacted by it. And I think a lot of times mm-hmm. when you have conflicts, it's because people don't have agency, actually. It's because they feel like something is being imposed on them. You know, they, they have policy p- imposed on them. They have somebody else's agenda imposed on them. And that if you try to... And another par- one of our values, um, which I, I love hearing how they're echoing off each other, is that in the organizing, you can bring your full self to it. Mm-hmm. If the process of organizing is humane and allows you to bring your full self, including your culture, to the table and it builds your agency, you're still going to have conflicts, but I think you're going to have some tools to work through them. And is there an example in your mind, Karen, of that when you think about, about that? Well, I think it's, it's a couple things. I mean, I think it is it, cases where you're arguing in a room and then you do some kind of cultural activity together <laughs> and um, you find a way to have your disparate positions, you know, that it, it's a container that can hold them all. Or I'm thinking of um, the visioning process that El Puente went through to do declarations for their um, green light district when it, when it opened. And it was this very sort of collaborative, um, creative process. You know, those declarations could have been an opposition with one another because it was everybody saying what they see their community being but the creative process allowed ways for people to disagree but uh, for it to not become a polarized thing so I think creative process is really um, an important one the other one is just go to the people you expect to be in conflict with and preempt it you know by talking to them and saying you know what are you concerned (laughs) about um is there a way I can address it instead of letting it get to a conflict? And always coming back to what your shared purpose and, and values are. Infuse everything you do with the culture that people feel comfortable in, which is their food, their um, the way they celebrate, you know, culture in the broadest sense. And um, so this um, we experience a lot in immigrant com- communities that really resist to progressive white forms of organizing where it kind of asks you to leave all of that behind. So it's like really going from where people are centered, which is their culture, and using that as an asset. And then in the art sense, it's it's really integrating the arts throughout the process. So in the example I would, could give now of our work in participatory budgeting, I mean, the whole purpose of that program, and it's very successful at doing it, is getting not the usual suspects who go to community meetings out to say what they want in their neighborhoods. And um, 
I think that some of the cultural activities have been, you know, have really helped where we have, you know, uh, arts workshops where people can make things together. Um, and it just feels a little bit more accessible to people that don't like going to meetings. Let me ask you what, what's next for the Green Light Project in particular. What are your plans for the future of that project? Um, we're very, very excited, and certainly uh, in terms of um, the uh, initiatives that uh, the Rockefeller Innovation Grant really supported us with, which was a community artist collective, cadre, as well as a way to bring the, and what we did this year was to bring merchants and artists together in sort of a uh, a real kind of revitalization of the south side of Williamsburg um, and in ways that will create spaces and places for artists to con- continue to create work, to collaborate, to um, move forward and hopefully uh, create the kind of vibrancy that we all want can happen. Um, and some of those coalitions now are really permanent and hopefully will drive the next eight years in terms of our action plan. And Karen, for Art and Democracy and for NOCD, what are the future plans for various projects? We just did a research exchange where we were really interested in the intersection between research and practice and how they can inform each other. And these were really creative researchers really working out of different sectors. So there was public health and there was anthropology and there was... um, and it was a very rich conversation. It definitely was not easy because they got really deep into some of the issues that we're dealing with in our communities. And then at the same time, it was such a call to action. And you don't usually think of that from a research oh, gathering. Research, yes. mm-hmm. But it really kind of spelled out, like, this is the world we're in right. with all its challenges and its opportunities. Mm-hmm. And if we don't step up and take the opportunities when we are this coalition, you know, uh, it's a lost It's a lost chance. Karen Atlas is the co-director of Naturally Occurring Cultural Districts, and Francis Lucerna is the executive director of El Puente. Thanks to you both for joining me. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It was terrific. Thanks for listening. This is the monthly Arts Forward podcast. You can check out more on our website that features multimedia profiles of innovative organizations, a blog and this podcast series, as well as much more at www.artsforward.org. That's A-R-T-S-F-W-D dot org. I'm Richard Evans of EMC Arts in New York.